You're listening to the Platte River Bard. The Marriage of Figaro is one of the most loved operas among opera goers and also opera performers. It is considered to be one of the greatest operas ever written. And in 2017, BBC News Magazine surveyed 172 opera singers for the opera they felt was their favorite opera. And The Marriage of Figaro was number one out of the 20 top operas identified. The original play was written by Pierre Beaumarchais in 1778. And The Marriage of Figaro is the second in a trilogy, preceded by The Barber of Seville and followed by The Guilty Mother. The plot of The Marriage of Figaro is about two servants, Figaro and Susanna, deeply in love and trying to get married despite the attempts of Count Almaviva, their employer, to seduce Susanna. In addition to many other plots within the story, the Count and Countess are an integral part of the plot. We were lucky to have met with Mary Feminier, who plays the Countess, and Michael Adams, who plays the Count, and had an enjoyable conversation about their part in this opera and their career in opera. Both of these young professionals have studied and performed far and wide with impressive bios and resumes, and yet they were so down to earth and a pleasure to talk to that we hope to get to speak to them again. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Platte River Bard. This is Chris Berger. And I'm Sherry Berger. And we are here down at the Hot Shops. Once again, they've had us down here at the Hot Shops. Thank you very much. And we are here with Michael Adams and Mary Feminier. They are the Count and Countess, respectively, in the Marriage of Figaro down at Opera Omaha. Thank you too very much for joining us and talking with us today. Of course, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is exciting. Yes, indeed. And I'm excited for Marriage of Figaro because this is kind of one of the basics of opera. And it's one of the things that if you want to get into opera, it's a really good one to start with. Oh, yeah. It's a a great gateway drug. And uh, it's (laughs) it's funny. It's wonderful music. You know, there's tunes that everyone has probably heard in their life, whether they realize it or not. So (laughs) it sticks with you. You'll, You'll definitely leave the theater humming something. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think, and, and, and I always say this and I'm going to say it again, but uh, as with a lot of people of my generation, uh, which is uh, Gen X, uh, our, our first exposure to opera was Bugs Bunny. Absolutely. And I think this was one of them. Uh, Figaro was in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and sort of developed a love for certain opera pieces early on because it's, it's connected with mm-hmm. with fun mm-hmm. and stuff we like, and also it's Mozart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, do you remember the operatic whale? There's also a cartoon ah. about an operatic whale, which you should yes. look into. I didn't know about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's fabulous. He's a very deep voice, and it's a famous singer who does the singing. Mm-hmm. He sings the Lodigo Factotum from Barber of Seville, different show, but the same characters and whatnot. It's yes. The, Figaro, 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 Figaro. The, Is it the same like, characters from... 
I didn't realize that. It See, is, I yes. didn't know that. See, right, know. right. So this this show, uh, Marriage of Figaro, is four. It takes place. Is that right? Four years after the Barber of Seville, mm-hmm. and so it's it's their lives and the same characters, but some stuff has gone down in the interim. So, mm-hmm. which we all know is of the last three years, how much can change? Right. <laughs> yes, indeed, <laughs> everything. Well, because the Marriage of Figaro used to be a play, so does that mean that there was a? I guess I haven't investigated. So was Barber Seville, Seville. A play first? Was that yes? So okay. that is the story of Rosina, their their initial love story, where they meet um, the Count and Countess, our characters, and in yeah. the current opera that we're doing, their relationship has kind of gone gone through it, yeah. and they're trying to reestablish their the Countess is trying to reestablish their connection that they had in the beginning right. in that other play. Um, so okay. it's there's a yeah. lot that has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that go, being the count? Now I know that the count is very amorous. Mm-hmm. So that's how, a very nice way to put it. Be so polite, baby. I mean, yeah, how does you, that go? You're like not going to offend me. Yeah, you go for it. <laughs> Um, just in this time. I mean, he was a man of his time. So oh, yeah. how, how do you feel about playing a man of his time that feels so entitled? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a problem with it because the, the more that you can bring that out, he's the bad guy. And yeah. so I think you really have license to, to really flesh that out because people are not supposed to like him, or at least they, I, I, this is just my personal opinion. Not every director has this opinion, but I think he sure. has to be humanist and some, there have to be parts of his personality that people can access uh, sure, sure. that way he just doesn't make any sense at all and, and for my personal opinion it doesn't make sense if the countess fell in love with him there, there had to be something appealing about him you know right. yeah she felt so, like something yeah. oh yeah so I think he just gets lost in his abuse of power you know p- power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and so it's I think it's kind of one of those yeah. situations and the whole the whole uh, you know this was written I think the De Ponte actually the librettist it was during the French Revolution right or right before Same, and yeah. so the whole plot is toying with this uh, idea of class struggle uh, and he is really just the kind of the pinnacle representative of that this dynamic between he and Figaro no. servants are getting a little uh, a little big for their britches sort of and they're trying to mm-hmm. maybe refusing to do things or, or mm-hmm. thinking that they can run they're just things trying to and, get married Right, they're right? just trying to live yeah. their lives. Yeah, exactly. But they have some tricks up their sleeve, uh, for sure, which we don't want to give away too much for the yeah. Sure, sure. But you'll see that Susanna is extremely smart, and I kind of view her as the one running the show, but she and Figaro have their own agenda, for sure. And um, <laughs> and she and uh, Susanna and Countess are good friends, which I think is really lovely. Yeah, that There's is lovely. There's a friendship, they're working together, and... Actually, back to the Count being a bad guy, mm-hmm. he, has, he has a heart. So the most beautiful point in the opera is, is when he asks for her forgiveness. But again, not to give away too much, but it's one of the most beautiful moments in music. Mm-hmm. And it shows, mm-hmm. it shows that glimmer of who he was, I mm-hmm. think, for sure. That's great. And what she uh, fell in love with, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes, and you just melt. And, right, in her capacity that she's able to forgive him, knowing all that he's done and all the torment mm-hmm. that he, he is inflicted upon all the characters literally every character in the show it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty rough but i yeah. to, back to your question I, I don't have a problem portraying him as just a bad dude because that's the whole point right? bad guys it's are right. fun to play that, well you know fun to play. <laughs> especially if they get theirs at the end if they get their comeuppance at the end mm-hmm. it's kind of it almost gives you license to push even harder because you know at the end everybody's going to get that satisfaction of ha 
he got his. Oh, yeah. That jerk. Sometimes <laughs> if you do it right, if you're really bad enough, you'll just get booed at the end of the night. <laughs> oh. And that's often, sometimes it's... Kind of fun. Uh, See, oh, yeah, but you know yeah. you've done your job if they that's, really don't. That's like music to my ears. <laughs> I love that. So if you come to the, to the show, just boo me. It's fine. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, something we didn't mention at the beginning of the podcast is you two are married in real life as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, just not on stage. So how, how did you guys get into I mean, you're younger than us, so I think it's wonderful to have young people in opera. So how did you get interested in opera, and, and how did... Do you get to do this together? Is this the only project? Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> well, I guess we met back in, I mean, I don't remember how many years ago, but it was in a show. We did not immediately start dating until after that at some point, but we did sing a Don Giovanni once we were together. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And now this show, is this the third one or have we done It's the third or fourth, I, I can't remember. But so, Ooh. yeah, Ooh. We, we know we enjoy spending all our time outside rehearsals together and in rehearsals. So we're really thankful for that. Um, <laughs> we you know, nice. get along and it actually makes, puts me really at ease to have Michael in the room. He's just a very yeah. calming presence. And right. I feel like I do better work. When he's around. Oh, so. that's great. Yeah, nice. and get to travel together. Yeah, we met at the end of 2016 uh, doing okay. a La Boheme in Geneva, Switzerland. Oh. And I was singing Marcello, oh. and she was the love interest, uh, Musetta. And uh, we neither of us really believe in what you know colloquially the singers call showmances, show romances, where you right. get involved with someone in the cast, you know, because right. we're only in town for two months at a time, and chances are you never see each other again for you know, at best years, if, if not ever again. Sure, sure. And so, uh, but this was different. You know, I thought, oh man, she's, she's a weirdo just like me. And yeah, you know, she's, I could let, I could be myself, you know? And so we just couldn't help it. And, uh, but what's actually funny is, so that was in Geneva, Switzerland, and they hired us both back strictly because of our chemistry. They didn't know we were together at that oh. point, uh, nice. to do, uh, in Don Giovanni, she played Zerlina and I was the spouse, Mazetto, uh, the fiance and yeah. And so uh, that was really funny that so obviously something was transcending the stage, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> she is kismet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Is Geneva as clean as Luzerne? I went to Luzerne once, and I swear it's like, did they know we were coming and they cleaned up special? Spotless. I, Gorgeous. It was like the first thing I noticed. Okay, it wasn't me. All right. It's oh, like the cleanest Lucerne country on earth. Oh my gosh, Lucerne is stunning. That it was a postcard. Yeah, just it yeah, was exactly. a postcard. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, Geneva's but, lovely too. Okay, all right, Geneva the same. I, we did, right. I did a lot of hiking when I was there, so did you? I love the outdoors, and that was my big thing. Is every weekend I made myself go and see something new and go out to the mountains and cool. Just I love nature, so that was a really fun time. Mm-hmm. See, lives. and that's neat because a lot of times when you get to travel, you don't always get the opportunity. It's like, gosh, I've been all these places and I haven't seen a darn thing. Yeah, you see it from the hotel walls. True. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. And Michael used to be more of a workaholic, so <laughs> I really kind of pushed him to get out more and enjoy, see the sights. And Gotta do it. That Take was, that oh, was yeah. good. My life is much more balanced <laughs> in terms of that. I actually eat salads now. It's yeah, nice. you There's eat a lot green of, stuff. You. Lot of, I'm definitely going to live longer, that's for sure. I mean, married men live longer. That's a, I'm pretty sure I that's a study, that's a right? Yes, it is. Probably. Yeah, so. I'll go with that. Surprisingly yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you're from Texas, so you're used mm-hmm. to Texas barbecue, and so that's that Beef. is a leap for the salad, then. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, for me, actually, oddly, it was uh, Mexican food, Tex-Mex. That was that was Tex-Mex. the big deal then. Yeah, yeah. So every every Sunday after church, we would just stuff our faces, and that was you know, 20 years of my life, or honestly still is sometimes. You yeah, know, we eat a lot of Tex-Mex. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wrong with that. that. But it's, yes. Oh, 
We well, don't have an accent either, so I wouldn't have guessed. It comes out when I go home and I'm around my family. I see. It slip out. When yeah. you're singing, you're all so conscious of accents and, and different languages and dialects and stuff. And so oddly, when For I started sure. singing, that kind of just went away. I don't. Interesting. Yeah, it's, you it's, became international. Uh, or That's cool. I, don't I guess know. so. That's cool. <laughs> I used to have an accent. I still say y'all. So. Oh. oh yeah. still, you still can't get rid of y'all. Can't That's get rid of right. y'all. It's just easier to say. Yeah. It's one word. So, where are you from originally? From Auburn, Alabama, which is a college town. Oh. So, if you're into football, I have to say War Eagle. Right. I have to make that very clear. <laughs> well, that's that's even more of an accent than Texas. It's so a beautiful draw. Also, yeah. Draw, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not far at all. Yeah. So, what got you interested in opera? How did this all start for you each fall of you? Into opera, well, uh, for me, oddly, I, I played, well, not odd, but I was a sports guy growing up. You know, I, I had two mm-hmm. musical parents. My mom plays flute in the Fort Worth Symphony and has my whole life, you know, 30 plus years. Cool. And my father was a bass baritone, actually, and I heard him singing my whole life, but I kind of lived in his shadow. I didn't really want to get involved, you know, because I didn't think I'd live up to it or whatever, you know. Sure. So, sure. I did sports, and uh, long story short, I got in a skiing accident and blew out everything, all my joints. Woke oh. up in the hospital kind of thing. And so just to pay for school, I thought, you know, I knew I could hear pitch and I knew I probably could sing something in the choir at least. And so sure. the Texas choir scene or general music education is very robust. And so anyways, I, okay. I got a scholarship to TCU in Fort Worth, my hometown. Oh. And so I just That's studied good. singing. And in my mind, I thought I'd just do it for a little bit till I figure out what I really want to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, but doors just started opening and one thing led to another. And I just kind of applied the discipline that you would in sports, you know, mastering all the different elements that goes into your game and the physique and sure. conditioning and all this and that to, to music. Yeah. And it's it's really pretty the same. You know, singing appears to be this magical uh, just God-given thing, but there's actually a tremendous amount of coordination involved. It's a lot of work, oh, especially for of... the type of singing you two do. Yeah. Right. Right. Is, uh, incredibly... From the bottom of your diaphragm. Well, yeah. it's incredibly intensive, yeah. and, and you have it, your mm-hmm. instrument, and you, like, like you said with sports, you got to have discipline. It's a perfect analogy. I mean, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. I know it's stereotypical, but it really is, there's unlimited parallels. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, I, uh, knew a uh, Dr. David Yaws who had been done a similar thing to you guys. He had been over in Europe for a decade and just singing opera, singing opera. And he came back, he retired and got his business degree and taught business school. Okay. But he also taught acting and we did that. And he tried to push me towards opera when I was 17, 18 years old. And I, I was too young to go, wow, that's, that's a great idea. I should have, but that's okay. I mean, hey man, what do you know at 17? I know. I'm, I'm 32. I, I feel like I still don't know anything. But so I know, but that's why I'm amazed. That, that, that's so cool that, that you took that leap and that, I mean, because it's not your typical thing, you, you know? I, I mean, especially for a guy, it's like, opera, what are you talking about? Isn't that for, you know, yeah, other not, people? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I think we both loved choral music. I think, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of, for both of us, the way in. Other than athletics, because I loved, I played tennis, and I'm just thinking, Ooh, nice. this has got me thinking, well, I yeah. loved sports before singing, so maybe that was a big part of it. Right. Could be. But um, the choir and choral music, which I just think is stunning and mm-hmm. wonderful, and Harmony. still love, still love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, that probably for both of us was the way in, mm-hmm. but you had parents in music, which definitely, and your sisters were both musical, so My it's a special fa- family. Whole yeah. musical family, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I have 13 music degrees just in our immediate family, oh, wow. and so oh. I, I really tried to avoid it, and I thought, oh, no, no way, I'm going to go do business or engineering or mm-hmm. something, and I, 
I just couldn't help it. So. And I have <laughs> relatives who uh, are musicians too. So yeah. play piano, and it's definitely part of our family also. And surrounded by. Yeah, the support, like you say, if you're 17 and you think, what? What is this? I don't know what this is. Yeah, and I, I had, see. We I both didn't. had people. Yeah, I had no us. one. Yeah. I, I'm the black sheep. Yeah, I'm, I'm huh. the weird one in my family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's even more interesting. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm just I'm kind of sort of envious that you guys took that track and. Man, you got to travel and do all these great shows yeah, and make a living met each other. And so, yeah. We're very fortunate and very lucky to have done any of really it and cool. honestly to still be doing it. I mean, in the throes of COVID, there was nothing, no live performing for 18, what, 18 months, something at least? Yeah, right around 18, a little more. In yeah. some yeah. cases, two years, some companies. And it's, to, to still be doing it on any scale, it just feels, honestly, it feels like a miracle. I, I wasn't entirely convinced that we'd go back. Really? <laughs> you know, yeah. So right. it was. It was yeah. Bad. What happens to live performance? So I'm assuming you guys just sat at home for for that whole time. Did you guys end up doing any online stuff, or we did a little bit here and there. A little uh, bit. I got into arranging and composing a little bit, and um, just trying other creative things. I sure. grew some bonsai trees. Oh, and excellent! I'm trying to think. What cool. We, we had some hobbies that we kind of. Michael learned how to play golf mm-hmm. um, so that he could play with my dad who that, that's how they bonded and Aww. just spent time with family as much as we could yeah. and yeah. yeah and just kept thinking oh in a few months we're going to go back oh in a few right. months we're going to go back and it was this continual constant yeah, teasing process mm-hmm. yeah, right. yeah I mean I think honestly it's kind of a blessing that we were teased that whole time because if we knew we had 18 months off or you know maybe I can't really remember it's kind of a blur we may have moved on and done something else and so oh, but our right. contracts give it kept getting canceled, you know, two, three months out. And so we were constantly kind of oh, right on the edge of, you yeah. know, that's right about the time you start preparing for a job is, you know, three, four, five months out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, uh, we never really able to move on, but I'm kind of grateful personally. I, I'm not sure I would still be doing it if, if I had gone on and tasted normalcy, you know, yeah. benefits and <laughs> all the different things, and, you know, so it's, I'm, the I'm magic still, of benefits. That's right. No, I'm, I'm really glad to still be doing it, but it's mm-hmm. in hindsight, it's just, man, I know everybody's got their story, but it's been wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're a bass? Uh, baritone. Baritone. Baritone, yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm the music one. Hey, no, I know tenors who sound like basses, so it's... Oh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And you are soprano? Soprano. Soprano. The coveted yeah. soprano. Well, you know. <laughs> it was, I started out as a mezzo in college, yeah. and then, you know, we're all kind of similar. Women voices are a little more similar than maybe the differences between a tenor and a bass are pretty huge yeah. sure. range-wise, but we're all kind of more similar. Okay. There's some women who have very low voices or very high voices, but there's more similarities. So for me, it was sort of a choice, but I think now it's kind of obvious, more obvious, but yeah. yeah. So what... What happens if you guys aren't in the same opera? How does that work? We've been lucky to have really staggered schedules. So Good. if I'm working, he's not, and vice versa. So we traveled a lot together. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good. One time we spent three months apart, and that was very hard. That would be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But we've both been pretty fully employed, and that's that's the thing is how do how do two singers make it work when you're on the road, you know, eight to ten months a year? Right. Uh, but somehow it's the universe or something's, mm-hmm. you know, lining up the dominoes for us. But it's it's been it's been good. Yeah. Now, how many actual operas have you been able to do? Because I know there are not many that are actually in English. Have you been able to actually do any in English? Some people go years and years and years without singing a single 
word in, in their native language. I'm just kind of curious. It doesn't happen as often. Yeah. Um, the show before last that I did in the fall was Susanna, so Carlisle Floyd, which is just stunning, wonderful music cool. in English. Cool. And sort of there, the famous, one of the famous pieces in that is sort of based on Appalachian carols. So okay. I kind of grew up with some of that oh, stuff yeah. in Alabama. It's very soulful. Yeah, so soulful. Yeah. Yeah, so gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this instrument called a mandola actually accompanied that piece I was just mentioning. Um, so that was in English, and that was a different experience. It's very nice and lovely mm-hmm. to sing in Italian. So I really love singing in you Italian. You like Italian? I like favorite? Italian, and yeah. I like French. Um, okay. And English, you know, mm-hmm. so that was a different experience for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I hear is that it's so different because there's not a lot of English opera around that gets mm-hmm. se- seems to get done as much as as you know italian french mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. i got yeah i'd say charming. probably about half of the standard repertoire is in italian and then maybe is it really that much maybe italian? 15 20 percent french mm. 15 20 german you know some russian in there and then you know mm. there's a lot of 20th century opera like benjamin Britten, and there's there's a handful of yes handful yeah. of names but often what's uh what's done now too is just to make things more relatable to the audience they'll do you know, the magic flute in English or something, you know, so that people aren't oh. having to be strapped to the, the surtitles to, to yeah. know what's going on. If it's a comedy, especially, the jokes will land immediately, you know, if it's in English. So companies are doing that more now, too. So it's, it's not uncommon to see. Yeah, yeah, to see an opera in English. Interesting. Titles. Yes. <laughs> I actually appreciate the subtitles. And it's not because I don't think I can hear anymore, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I like to, to watch them. Oh, yeah, me too. Me so. too. We're watching The Sopranos right now, and sometimes oh. we fight over subtitles because I, li- I prefer to have them because, you yeah. know, I'm a little slow. And, no, and she, but, uh, I miss oh, stuff. Okay. If I don't have, yeah. I do miss words if we don't right. have them turned on. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I stare at the, the since it's, in the opera, you have a little distance between what's happening on stage and then the mm-hmm. words. But on the show, it's yeah. like there's what's his face, the main, uh, Tony Soprano, and mm-hmm. there's the words right there. And you, his acting is so brilliant, mm-hmm. yes. and I just want to focus on his face. But yeah. <laughs> that's true. And come to, come to the thing of it too, opera is so suspended in time; things are really drawn out. It can take thirty seconds to get through a short sentence, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it is nice to have it. That's true. To read sometimes, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Now yeah. the first opera I ever saw was. Um, I don't know whether Sweeney Todd counts. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Because I, I think they called it an operette mm-hmm. at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, Sweeney Todd, and of course, when Les Mis first toured, was the most amazing thing I mm-hmm. think I ever saw. And that was sort of opera-y. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that classic you know, 1950s through 80s musical theater was just... I mean, some of the best music. Incredible. And it really requires a legit voice, but someone with real vocal training to, to do... Um, whereas I, I'm not, I'm not minimizing. No, know, no, not at all. In at fact, all, but, I was about to yeah. say music theater singing is so difficult. Oh, and oh for sure. It's just yeah. a different skill set, and I can't imagine it belting. Is. Oh my gosh, how hard! Right. So what he's saying, it's yeah, it calls for a classical sound, maybe, and mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's some of the most gorgeous music. Love well, it. and speaking of that, you guys, of course, concentrate on opera. Have you ever drifted? to musical theater and done some just straight up musical theater stuff? Oh, Michael yeah. has. Yeah, a few years ago I did a, yeah. a showboat, which is... Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, musicals. And honestly, being classically trained gives you the vocal chops, the technique to kind of do whatever you want. And so you can kind of pair it back on the classical side or, or tune it up, you know, for, for the more operatic sound. And it's, it gives you a lot of flexibility for sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's cool. No, we had a girl who was, uh, uh, that I know that... Uh, 
was uh, very big into opera and very sort of classically trained and liked to sing like that. And she got cast as the Lady of the Lake in Spamalot. And it took her a few weeks to kind of get into that vibe. Mm -hmm. You could tell she was struggling to get out of that sort of classical because she's got to, mm-hmm. you know, gets a little funky in there and, and it's not mm-hmm. the same. And, and she was, she, she got it and she nailed it because she's awesome. But you could, you could see her struggling. She was like, oh man. Totally mm-hmm. different approach. Completely, yeah. completely. And you just don't think about that. It's like, well, singing is singing. Mm-hmm. It's not, a lot easier really. to go that way from more operatic singing to musical theater than the other way around. Because you're going, oftentimes in yeah. musical theater, you're mic'd. And so there are things that you don't have to worry about, like projection or, that's you know, true. things, acoustics reading to, you know, two, three hundred feet to the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I think makes operatic singing so difficult is for it to be clear for someone who's, you know, a football field away in the back of the, the back, back of the auditorium. Whereas when you're mic'd, it's yeah. that's really not an issue. You can whisper and be heard. You know? Yeah. I mean, they might have some stage mics and that's about all. You yeah. Get. I was going to say, I thought yeah. there were stage mics. Are they? Yeah. But mm. they're. Yeah. In opera. Yeah. Do, do they do any kind of. You know, of- they'll, they'll do it it for like a broadcast or something but they never pump it through the house really and so what you're really? hearing in the audience is literally just our singing wow. no, which is no electronic amplification oh. whatsoever which is even more amazing it's just even more amazing. it's why it takes 10 years to just figure it out honestly yeah. it's yeah because you're, you're essentially yelling with in the healthiest way possible <laughs> so you can do it with any kind of stamina healthy yelling you know? yeah i mean seriously it's <laughs> That's a poor. That's a really poor way of putting it, but it's. But it's that's yeah. Kind of. That's amazing. Do you, and do you really think it took you, like, really ten years to really, really get it and mm-hmm. and felt like you guys were rolling? I would say so. I'm I, every day. I'm learning something wow. that feels like I'm still taking a leap, you know, instead of baby steps. But mm-hmm. so it's an ongoing thing, and your body changes, and your thirties are way different than your twenties for singing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I would say 10 years to really get to know yourself and mm-hmm. to set that baseline, sure. that foundation for sure. And then you start learning when you're on the job sometimes. And uh, as our friend says, it's hard to stop a wheel in motion or to teach a wheel in motion. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But the job also teaches you and then you run into challenges and you have to say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to figure this out and how am I going to be heard over this orchestra? And so every day yeah. is just still, still you're learning so much. Do you feel you got stronger? Uh, your voice got stronger in your 30s? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Late 20s. Um, Late 20s. 29 early. is when I noticed things getting a little easier. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, it so it gets better. Changed. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so some of that is technical. You start to just have a more streamlined idea of what you're doing and uh-huh. that you don't have to do so much and without getting too far into it. But there's also sure. an element that is physical and hormonal. So for men, and I'm sure it's, I'm not sure when it takes place for females, but your, your throat, you know, your larynx, your voice box is made of cartilage. Right. Uh, your whole life until you start getting into, you know, somewhere around 30, early, mid thirties. Uh, and it ossifies, it literally turns into bone and it's mm. a bit more resonating, resonant, hard surface, kind of like you know, if you were talking or recording, for instance, this podcast in a sure. carpeted room, there's no feedback. Whereas if you were doing this in a bathroom, it's a, it's very live and yeah, that's, it's a poor analogy, but that's, that's essentially what happens to your throat. And so it becomes a much more robust, darker, louder sound. Uh, well, maybe not, it's maybe Interesting. a little yeah. bit, but yeah, that's, hmm. I think that's generally why, uh, there's a stereotype for people's voices changing in their thirties is. Yeah the, yeah, the anatomy actually changes. I mm-hmm. did not realize that because I did notice a change. I don't 
sing opera, but have sung a lot. And I did notice I felt like I got stronger and could project. I got more of that resonance. Well, mm-hmm. and you quit smoking. Well, yeah, but not and in my 30s. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was very bad in smoking too long. You guys have all the lungs. I could, I could probably scream at the top of my lungs on, on stage and nobody would hear me with, with an orchestra. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to do it. Mom's accused of being too loud. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's it. amazing. That makes total sense too. That makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Ha! There's, there's hormone receptors on your vocal cords, so oh. hormonal changes and right. all of that. Having a baby, all those things right. can change things. Some people don't notice any change, but some people notice a huge change. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot yeah. to contend with. That's that is amazing. That is amazing. So okay. Marriage of Figaro. Huh? <laughs> this is like, I don't know whether it's the most famous one or most identifiable, but I think everybody knows Figaro. Just, mm-hmm. e- just the word, mm-hmm. you know, and the Figaro, Figaro. I mean, everybody's like, ah, I know that. It's like, yeah. that's opera. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys had a chance to do this before, or is this your first shot at, at the Marriage of Figaro? Well, you've done it a few times. Yeah, this yeah. is both not our first production, which is which is nice. That's always fun to explore. Mm-hmm. Actually, the the learning and exploring of the roles never really ends. You know, you're always finding nuances and different shades of the character and the plot. And see, you know, there were things the other day that I was thinking, oh, I, I never really understood that until now. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to be settled and to 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 be repeating it again because we're not we're not having to think about the words so much and memory slips. Mm-hmm. And now we're just kind of yeah, you know. And so that's you really embody. For me, just the character and delve into acting more. Um, I did this role one time, and it was a lot of that, just trying to make sure the vocalism is... I felt invested, of course, but mm-hmm. it's a different thing to have done it once, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Being able to revisit something, I think, is... I, and I, I don't know, I, maybe a lot of people would think, oh, well, you've already done that. Why do you want to do that again? And I, I think that's very exciting. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh, yeah, no, I get another shot at this because mm-hmm. I got ideas this time that I didn't, you know, that mm-hmm. I just thought of in between this time and last time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you, of course, you'll have a new director mm-hmm. and they'll throw something different at you. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't think of that before. That's a poor yeah. analogy, but, you know, I've been playing a lot of golf lately and it's like mm-hmm. people who play the same golf course over and over for years and years and years and the weather can change and your shots can change or you know this and that but mm-hmm. there's enough variation within it that still makes it entertaining and personally I could just sing this one show the rest of my life me too really? Absolutely. So, really? Oh. this show has everything it has so much soul and depth and great wonderful characters and you hear that overture and I still get chills every time Aww, just the neat. first few notes of mm-hmm. the overture it's got such good energy it's <sighs> Mozart's the most human one of the most he it understands the human spirit, and you—it's it just I every agree. note oozes that. Wow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, and and funny too, and that's what a lot of people yeah. don't think of. Maybe if you go to the opera, I mean, there's there's I mean, there's like solid laughs oh, in oh, this yes. thing, mm-hmm. and and like essentially slapstick. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, right. yeah totally which you don't even think of. A lot of people don't when, when they think of opera. It's like, oh, there's like a scene anything funny well, yeah, or slapstick. And think that but yes. Something 200 years ago was still funny now. Oh, gosh. Is... Oh, that, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, and this show in particular, it will be very funny with our director. There's some good jokes, really good, good ones. I was laughing in rehearsal yesterday watching my <laughs> colleagues like really laughing. So oh, I love that. there's going to be a lot of that. 
Do you dream in opera when you're doing this? <laughs> you know, I think I did have a dream of a rehearsal dream yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Rehearsal dream? And then it involved dogs because I talked to someone about dogs and there were dogs in rehearsal. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So that was a, it was a nice dream. Yeah. Nice. There's, there's a lot of nice dreams and a lot of dreams that are just completely meaningless that we have, but there's also nightmares. My, personally, the, oh, no, the worst no. dream oh, yes. is that you're standing on stage and the curtain comes up for act two and it's something that you don't know. Oh. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't know this. What am I going to do? Yeah. Like, it's the music you can't identify right, that's, what you That's the worst about. case. You oh know, my it's oh so no. funny. And then I wake up and oh, thank God. You that know? is nightmarish. So much relief. <laughs> I mean, it's like being on stage and somebody throws a line at you and you're like, oh, I don't recognize that. Yeah, mm, that's crickets. a bad feeling. Mm-hmm. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> it happens, though. It's it life, does. right? <laughs> it totally does. This totally happened to me. And then you're so guilty <laughs> and you're like, am I, is that, is that my cue? <laughs> <laughs> You just keep going. Just go. That's life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what's next? Are you taking this to another city, another opera? Yeah, House so we're, we're, uh, we all have our own schedules typically. You know, there are houses who singers will stay there and just sing. You know, for instance, the Metropolitan Opera, there are yeah. singers who stay there and sing throughout the season. Okay, uh, she's doing a concert in a, in a few weeks after this one in Russian. And I'm, I'm Russian, so i got to learn oh, some Russian. Russian. Oh, wow. See, Russian yeah. opera sounds Terrifying. It can be. The first time you sing in Russian, it's a little, it's, you see your life flash before your eyes a little bit. Yeah. But, I Because you're, like, you're singing sounds. You're just singing random sounds that takes, we generally know what we're saying in other languages. Sure. Mm-hmm. And we've studied them, but Russian was totally different. Mm-hmm. But the music yes. is so gorgeous, mm-hmm. so I'm willing to do anything for mm-hmm. to sing that oh, music. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's doing this same show mm-hmm. after this, but totally different people, yeah. totally different I'm going place. to sing another Moyer de Figaro in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Cool. And mm-hmm. it starts like a week after this one closes. The Marriage of Figaro will continue in many opera houses all over the country, and it shows that there is a way to make a career within opera. Though our conversation was cut short with technical problems, we hope to catch Mary and Michael again and bring more of their story to you. The music for The Marriage of Figaro was composed in 1786 by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and the libretto was written by Lorenzo de Ponte who turned it into a libretto in just six weeks. Though we all recognize Mozart still today, we may not realize that he produced over 600 works, 21 operas and stage works, as well as 40 symphonies and many other works, such as concerti and pieces for small ensembles and choirs. This is a staggering amount of works in just his 36 years alive. He wrote his first opera at five years old and his first symphony at eight years old. The story of Mozart's life in and of itself is interesting, and he probably didn't realize what an impact he would make long after his death. Initially, the play, The Marriage of Figaro, was banned in Vienna because it depicted servants rising up against their masters. However, DePonte said later in his writings that it was because of sexual references. Regardless of the reasons, DePonte removed all the political references and replaced Figaro's speech about inherited nobility with a rant about unfaithful wives. 
And with the exclusion of other political overtones, it was finally approved for live performances by King Louis XVI in 1784. It premiered in Vienna in 1786 and had tremendous success, so much so that the production ran for 68 performances. This opera was also the first of three collaborations between Mozart and De Ponte, the other collaborations being Don Giovanni and Cosi Fan Tutte. This opera is lighthearted and fun, and also has real appeal with its slapstick comedy. The style in which it was written is called Commedia dell'arte, meaning professional comedy, which shows standard recognizable characters and plots and adds a script with some improvisation and jokes mixed with topical references to current Italian events. This play was similar to the style in which Saturday Night Live is to us today. The style was also one of the first models of the performing arts as being a paid profession. This mixture of a love story, comedy, and beautiful music has created an opera that has lived on for over 200 years. Maestro Stephen White sums up The Marriage of Figaro in the Opera Omaha Study Guide so eloquently. The real reason for its enduring popularity is that Mozart, wielding one of the most divinely gifted intellects and spirits in the history of humanity, like Cupid with a bow, strikes us in the center of our hearts with his music, kindling the spark of divinity that exists in all of us, common human beings that we are. Opera in Conversation, The Art of Comedy, Comedic Tropes and Types will be held at the Blackstone Theater March 21st at 6 p.m. And you can get your tickets to this beloved opera, The Marriage of Figaro, at TicketOmaha.com. Performances are March 31st and April 2nd, and ticket prices begin at just $19. And don't miss the After the Curtain Call on April 4th at the Benson Theater at 6 p.m. Thank you for listening and supporting the arts in the Platte River area and beyond. Please subscribe to our podcast so you are sure to catch all of our future episodes and join us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Music for this podcast was used with permission by Screaming Skull Productions. See you next time on the Platte River Bard. <laughs>